Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth, where we're exploring all sorts of business topics. Experts from around the world join me, your host, Diane Helbig, for a conversation where they share their expertise with all of you. Take what you need, when you need it. Featured on Inc.com, Forbes, and MSNBC's Your Business, this podcast is recognized as one of the best podcasts for small business, sales, leadership, social media, and more. When it comes to business, Accelerate Your Business Growth has got it covered. And now on with the show. My guest today is Jeffrey Deckman. Jeffrey is an award-winning author on the next evolution of leadership, conscious leadership. As a serial entrepreneur, he has bootstrapped two multi-million dollar companies, several nonprofits, and multiple political organizations. Since 2005, he's been a leadership and organizational performance consultant and leadership coach, helping leaders build powerful and resilient 21st century ready organizations. Jeffrey regularly publishes on the Forbes.com blog, and he is also a stage four cancer thriver. Congratulations for that, Jeff. Thank you. It's uh, <laughs> a big deal. Yeah, it's it's a big deal, and I'm I'm happy to be here. You know, so yeah, yeah, yeah. good stuff. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So we had an opportunity to talk a little before the recording, but we're going to be talking about leadership and and engaging your employees and things. And um, I, I'm wondering if you can shed some light on what you see as like some of the biggest mistakes leaders are making that they don't even realize they're making. Oh boy. <laughs> you know, what, what I can say is, you know, I work right in the trenches uh, with my clients. You know, I, I do some coaching work, but mostly it's, it's consulting. So uh, I deal with small to medium sized businesses. So I roll up my sleeves and I'm, I'm, I'm speaking with management owners and frontline workers and the biggest mistake I think people in management make is that when it comes to employee engagement, they expect the employees to engage them. And what I uh, tell people is it's I, I take it from the Stephen Covey uh, mm-hmm. book, which when, when he talks about trying to be understood seek first to understand, then be understood. So what I say is seek first to engage them, then to be engaged. Yeah. Because that's that's the main thing. You know, think about when, you you know, you first started into business and you have, uh, you know, you're starting your career and you're kind of intimidated. You know, you're the new person. You're not quite sure. And the boss is the boss. Uh, So there's a little bit of an intimidation factor there. Uh, So you're hesitant to really lean in and you may not quite know where to lean in and what have you. So it's really inherent on management to create the environment where people not only feel safe to engage, but they want to. Uh, So that you really want to take the initiative to build the relationships and the rapport with the people. It's not about becoming best friends, but it's, it's, it's becoming familiar with them and them with you. Uh, and that really starts the process because, you know, human beings like to get along with other human beings. So mm-hmm. <laughs> if we can remove some of those unnecessary barriers, 
uh, it really starts to help facilitate that process. And I think I'm so glad that you said this, because as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, we forget what it was like to be the new person. And we forget that they don't know the things that we know. They're not familiar with the environment. They're not comfortable with, with the people yet. And so for us to have an expectation that they're just going to dive in and figure out how to fit in, it doesn't really make sense. No, it doesn't. And, you know, we have to really, uh, as leaders, uh, you know, there's managers and there's leaders mm-hmm. and every manager can be a uh, can be a leader, but not all are. And all effective leaders are managers. And, you know, so so what we need to do is we need to uh, make sure that people have a clear understanding on what the level of, of expectation is. And, you know, I talk a lot about uh, uh, about organizations that 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 they're tribes, organizations. We, we've been taught that organ organizations are kind of machines. You know, you, you look and you see the org chart and it's linear and there's hierarchies and it's structure and there's departments and there's silos and there's all that type of stuff. And the org chart is important, but. Uh, the org chart actually starts working against you when you when you see your organization win that model and you engage it the same way. Uh, organizations are really just a tribe of tribes, and when you think of it that way, you start to you start to humanize the the organization. And you know, if, if you think about it, tribes are the most effective uh, form of collaboration that humans have ever devised. Uh, It's through our tribe, our ability to tribe that we've become uh, the most successful species on the planet. Uh, Not always the smartest, but the the most successful. (laughs) And, uh, you know, as we've gotten into organizations and, you know, we've built really big corporations and based on industrial age thinking and mechanized thinking, everything is a machine. The organization is a machine and the people are tools or gears in the machines, et cetera. And uh, it's, it's been a model that to, to give it its due, it's, it's, it's allowed us to, to win two world wars and to build the largest corporations the world's ever seen. But uh, we're not in the industrial age anymore. So what we have to do is we have to start thinking about how do we maximize our human capital with the people that we have? And the uh, Gallup has done years and years of studies of employee engagement and employee engagement consistently uh, shows that there's only three out of 10 people that are engaged in organizations. Now think of uh, an, an Think of a, a baseball manager. If he could only get three of his nine players out on the field, uh, they're not going to win. Uh, and he's not going to have their job long. But it's been that long for so long that it's become accepted. In fact, if you can get four of your players on the uh, out on the field, that's considered a major win. So uh, the, the problem with that is it's costing American companies $500 billion a year in lost productivity. So this, all the st- studies show that 70% are not engaged, but then when they ask the employees who want to be engaged, 70% want to be engaged. So I look at that and I say, okay, wait a minute, 70% aren't, but 70% want to be. And if you ask management 
100% of them say they want the, the people to be engaged. So <clears throat> why, if everybody wants that, why isn't it happening? And we've been focusing on thinking that it's a people problem, but it's not. I'm a firm believer that it is a problem with the model that we are using. Excuse me. We, yeah. Can you explain that? Yes. Uh, in the research that I've done to do my book and everything I've done over the last 17 years in this space, I really started looking at what are the driving forces behind the organizational chart. And uh, McKinsey did a study many years ago that said 67% of all work done in organizations is done outside of the org chart in informal networks, tribes, uh, that are formed by employees, not in rebellion against the management, but in order to be more effective at getting their work done. So that's another clue that the model we're using is not right. And when you go back to the whole tribal discussion, you look at the org chart, it's mechanized. It looks like an assembly line. Yeah. But the way people interact and engage people, one another naturally is tribal and conversational. It's a network. A tribe is a network. So if you try to lead a network using mechanistic and highly structured models, you're going to get three out of 10 people uh, excited and engaged when you start engaging that network as the tribe that is that it is employee engagement's going to go up engagement goes up performance goes up performance goes up profits go up it's just it's math that's just the way that happens yeah so so what that means is we need to enter into our organizations we need to look at them differently and engage them differently and when we start treating people uh, more like people and we engage them in the conversations and we let them participate in discussions that have uh, ha will impact their jobs or when we start having management open up a, a bit more to the frontline workers to help solve problems and innovate, et cetera, you'll see that you'll get more collaboration. And that collaboration is the engagement which then starts the performance to increase profit uh, chain that starts to flow. So the problem is the model. We can't be looking at our organization strictly as org charts. There's three things behind the org chart that drives performance. One are tribal dynamics, how the group interacts with one another. You have tribal leaders, you have uh, people that are influential that may not be up show up on the org chart. Yeah. So you have tribal dynamics, you have knowledge networks, I call them, which you know we traditionally call them teams but they're actually knowledge networks. And then you have culture. So tribal dynamics, knowledge networks, and culture, because culture is basically the level of consciousness within the organization. Do, do the people work together? Do they fight? Uh, do they cooperate? Or is it a little bit kind of barbaric? And when I started looking at those three drivers, I realized that if I can understand the tribal dynamics and, and how, how people work together, and if I can assemble teams uh, more as a knowledge network to make sure that you know they, they have the training that they need, and how can I create the conditions for their, their collective genius to, to work? Every group has a collective genius. Uh, and then can I help make sure that the environment they're working in is, uh, is, has authentic authenticity has integrity and that it respects one another 
if I look to focus on doing that right as a manager and as a leader, I'm going to create the conditions that's going to increase the level of employee engagement. The org chart is still important because you need to know what, what departments people work into and, and who they report to. But that needs to be a skin because what really drives the organization are the uh, the tribes, tribal dynamics, which is the muscle. That's that's how the work gets done. The knowledge network, which is the brain of the organization. You know, how creative and problem solving is it? And the culture, which is the heart and soul of the organization. Because organizations aren't machines, they're organisms. They're living, breathing, thinking organisms. And when you start viewing your organization like that, from a human standpoint, as opposed to a mechanized standpoint, the shifts that start to occur and the realizations you get that it was like, oh, geez, I, I've known that all along, but maybe I didn't realize that I can implement some of some new ways of thinking and engaging the people uh, in my organization. Things start to change pretty quickly. So um, that makes complete sense to me. And I so appreciate you explaining that. If someone's listening and they're thinking to themselves, what I like along the lines of what I just said, you know, I get it, it makes sense, but I don't know how to start making that change. Are, are there like specific things that these leaders can be doing to um, start that, you know, turning the boat? Absolutely. And it's easier than you think. The ego may not like it. Because, you know, as leaders and managers, we just, you know, just do what I tell you to, right? right. right. Or wait a minute. No, I like my idea better, even though it may not be better, but it's mine. So, uh, and here's what I encourage all of my clients to do. And I, and I help them to do it. And that is engage your people in conversations. Get them together. You know, one, one of the first things you can do is pull some of your, your top people together, people that you have relationships with already, and sit them down and say, hey, let's engage in a conversation here, maybe over the next couple of weeks about uh, how are things going? What, what, what areas do we see that we've got some problems? Uh, where do you think in the organization, from your perspective, we could make some improvements? And I do this really interesting exercise. It's really eye-opening, and it's it's fun. It can reveal more information than you wish you had sometimes, but <laughs> it has a tendency to, to deliver some interesting uh, outputs. And that is I survey the, the people and I ask them three, three questions. The first one is if you could remove two or three things from what it is that you do now in your job that would make you more productive, what would those things be? So they answer that. The next question is, if you could add two or three things to what it is that you do that would make you more productive, what would they be? Hmm. And the third thing is, if you could identify two or three things that is holding the company back, hmm. what would they be? And that one opens it up to, well, there's some political issues or we just, you know, we have breakdowns in communication. So what it does from a leader standpoint is it really allows me to get some real good information on a one-on-one -on -one basis with each of the individuals I'm speaking to. And I also get the bigger view of, uh, of how the organization's doing. And you, you'll see some patterns in that bigger view. 
And regardless if you think the two or three problems that, you know, most of them might agree with are if, whether or not you think they're problems or not, they do. So th those are the first ones I start to work on. Because when people see that you're working on things that are important to them, they will start to work on things that will are important to you. Ah, yeah. Boy, that is such a big point. Oh, those three questions. Mm. You got to watch who you ask because it might give you some information <laughs> you don't like. But, you know, uh, sometimes the truth hurt, but it's normally worth it. Uh, and, you know, kind of start small. If, if you've got a, you know, you might be the owner or an executive of a small to medium sized company, maybe have a support team of, of three or four people or whatever, you know, start with them. And then depending on how that goes and how comfortable you are and the relationship you have with your people in your organization, you can extend it out. But the caution I would have with that is don't go down that path unless you're willing to listen and respond and have some follow up conversations. You know, Boy, you don't have no kidding. Yeah, you don't have to show up with a magic wand and grant all their wishes. Uh, but if if you can give them one or two things uh, out of what it is that they're talking about and explain why you can't do the others, it, it really serves a valuable purpose. Uh, and, you know, it's that, that's all about employee engagement increases employee retention. And employee retention plus employee engagement increases profits because it's really expensive to, to hire new people, replace existing people. Yeah. And, you know, everybody's challenged by hiring people as it is now. We've got the great resignation. We have people that are, I forget what they call it, but one term quiet I heard is quitting. Yeah, quiet quitting. There's another term called presenteeism. Instead of absenteeism, it's oh. presenteeism. Wow. That's out there. And, People are blaming the new generations and all that type of stuff. But, you know, as we talked a little bit earlier, yeah. people really haven't changed much over the last, you know, 50,000 years. And you create the right in involvement and people want to do good work. They want to be proud of what they're doing. They want to be proud of the organization they're working with. And if you create the right environment, people will absolutely step up. And those that don't or won't, well, you know, no matter what you do, they're not going to do that. But you know, don't buy into the fact that uh, the great resignation and this, you know, quiet quitting, that that's just uh, a disease or a virus that has hit the young people. Th that's not true. You, you create the right environment. And those young people, they want good futures and good paying jobs. And they want acknowledgement, just like we did. So yeah. don't buy into that. Work through it. Have you ever found yourself scrolling through financial news and wondering, how does any of this affect me? How can I read a major headline and truly understand what impact that has on not only my portfolio, but my life? Well, our goal on the podcast Inside the Street, hosted by Wall Street analyst Sela Shifre Partners, is to provide public investors and young professionals with a deeper understanding of the mechanics that drive those major headlines. And what better way to dive into these mechanics than hosting Wall Street analysts themselves to discuss the newest trends in finance firsthand? Well, on our show, we bring you real perspectives from the front line. Hearing these analysts give commentary has made our listeners much more well-versed on the financial markets. This approach to discussion allows our listeners to engage in conversation with much more educated opinions and predictions. So be sure to check out our show, Inside the Street, wherever you find your podcasts. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain -brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. 
If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast. Okay, so one of the things that keeps rolling around in my head is if there's a, a small business owner or business leader who the environment has not been like that, then there, the trust isn't there. It, you know, if, if I walk out and go, okay, I'd like to hear your thoughts, the trust really isn't there for people to feel comfortable sharing their, their thoughts with me. How does a leader um, prove, I guess, for lack of a better word, that they mean it, that, that they really are going down a different road? Your point is, uh, is a very good one. And, you know, I wrote a book that really focuses on exactly that. It's called Developing the Conscious Leadership Mindset for the 21st Century. And in it, one of the first things uh, I I talk about in there is that the first step on the path to leadership is an inward one, and so are all the rest. And by that, what I mean is, as a leader, you really need to be able to look at yourself where your strengths are, where your weaknesses are, where your ego is, where the ego is helping you and where it's hurting you. Uh, You have to, in order to engage the modern workplace, like we have five independent minded generations in the history of humanity in the workplace and, and none of them want to just be told what to do. So leadership today is more about humility. It's, it's not being uh, less than or weak or whatever. It's just about, about being authentic, acknowledging if I want to get credibility with someone who I don't have credibility with or, or I've destroyed it, I need to go in and be honest with them and acknowledge some things. So one of the ways you could do, and you need to be careful with this, you know, but we just have a short amount of time here to share this, yeah. is just to, first of all, own it for yourself where you've made some mistakes. I used to be a, a different type of leader than I am now. So everything I talk about and I write about, I've lived through. And what I had to learn was I had to learn humility. Uh, and when I decided, when I owned my last company, that I had uh, I had created a bit of a toxic leadership environment in there, accidentally on purpose, you know, uh, and I had done a lot of work on myself, et cetera, was I had to go in and sit down and say, look, guys, I know I've made mistakes. Uh, I know I've been a bonehead and I've been a bit egotistical in some areas. So uh, it doesn't make me any any worse than anybody else. We all do that. But um, I really want to start working to to build better relationships between us. So I want to acknowledge that I've done some things that, are, that you know, really weren't in the best interest of anybody, but I'm really looking at taking some of that stuff on. So uh, yeah. as part of that, what I want to do is I want to come in and I, I want to see if we can start improving uh, how we communicate and how we operate around here. So by acknowledging some of the things that they already know about you, yeah. <laughs> and they're already thinking about you. Yeah. You know, I mean, they they saw it before you did. Yeah. It's like the four-year-old who stands in the middle of the carpet with his hands over their eyes playing hide and seek. Everybody sees them. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so so I was just standing out there with my, you know, uh, with my yeah. eyes, hands over my eyes going, nobody can see what, what it is that I do. But, uh, you know, it's not about wallowing in front of people. Keep your dignity. Absolutely. But a little bit of humility and just acknowledge what they already know and say, look, I'm, I'm, I'm doing work on this. And, and part of this is, involves me asking you. So 
I'm going to make mistakes as I go forward. So I ask your forgiveness in advance, but but let's see if we can create a different environment here. I'm going to try to do a better job of listening, and I'm going to ask you to trust me in that. And uh, you know, if I if I fall off the bike, then you know, just point and go, "Hey, boss," you know, or Jeff, yeah. you're you're doing that thing again. Uh, and you know, again, you you have to watch who you do that with, but uh, you have to do it, and that's how you reestablish integrity is by acknowledging when you were out of it. I think this is so great. And I, and one of the most valuable parts of that, in my opinion, is they already know you're doing those things. Yeah. You're the one it's in your blind spot in my yeah. book. I, I do a whole section on how to identify your blind spots and how dangerous your blind spots are. Uh, because you know what, it's what you don't know that you don't know that hurts you the most. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've since created an environment where, you know, much to my chagrin, oftentimes people have permission to say when, when they feel, so I'm off. And yeah. so, sometimes I am, and sometimes I'm not. So, uh, and but we'll talk more aware. Yeah. Oh, awareness is everything mm-hmm. because when I'm, aw- so there's a couple of stages here is first of all, something's in my blind spot. I don't know that I'm doing that thing. Uh, and then all of a sudden I become aware and that's painful. And when I become aware, I have a choice. My choice is to stay blind or to acknowledge what's so and to take it on. If I, if I decide to acknowledge it, then I now become conscious. So the next time the thing comes up, I make a conscious decision whether to act uh, appropriately or to act for my ego. I either, I'm either acting as my inner elder or I'm acting as my outer ego. Those are the two things that are driving me. So I have a blind spot. Then I become aware. Once I'm aware, the situation comes in. I'm aware it's happening. I I get to make a conscious decision one way or another. And once, once you're aware, you have a tendency to make the better decision. And that elevates your level of consciousness, which means you're coming more from your inner elder and less than your outer ego. And when you can start tipping the scales that way more towards your elder than your ego, the difference between how they feel becomes more evident and you can tell, oh, that's my ego. I, I refer to the ego as uh, as my dog. I have to keep my dog on a leash. And, <laughs> and, you know, an untrained dog barks, bites, sniffs in inappropriate places. And one barking dog will activate other dogs to bark, just like one active ego activate other egos. So wow. I'm always looking and saying, okay, is my dog on the leash? And I have to do a sit stay a lot. <laughs> I, I have a muzzle handy <laughs> because, you know, it's, it's just an impetuous child. It's, yeah. it's, it's smart and it, it's willful. And it is when it's domesticated, it's a, it's a good servant, but it's a horrible master. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's what I do every single day is I'm just trying to, you know, domesticate my dog and, uh, and acknowledge when it got off the leash. And and when I work with my clients and we bring that into play, uh, someone will do something and they'll self-admit and go, you know what? Uh, my dog just snapped the leash. Let, let me put it back on. It gives <laughs> us a, it gives us a fun, playful way to help acknowledge some of our worst traits. And then if we acknowledge them, we can work on them. Right. Right. Exactly. 
all of us here are good people. We're just trying to do the best we can and we're challenged. So, you know, compassion is important for one another, especially yourself. And then accountability. Compassion without accountability is weakness. But you add the two and it's a really a powerful mix. Boy, no kidding. I love that. I, I, I had never looked at it that way. This is really just so great. And Jeff, I really appreciate this conversation. I think it is tremendously important and I feel like it's liberating. So nothing you said sounded like it was hard work. You know, definitely you have to be able to get your ego out of the way, but it's so liberating and freeing and makes your work life so much more powerful and results oriented. Yeah, it's really, you know, when I do my, when I do my training classes or uh, I do my coaching, what happens is within a couple of weeks, you know, the people come back to me and they say, you know what, this isn't just about leadership at, at work. This yeah. is about leading my life. Yeah. This is about who I am in this world. Am I contributing to the positive side of the equation or am I contributing to the right. toxic side? Right. And, you know, let me just be, you know, like Mahant, uh, like, uh, like Gandhi said, let me be the change that I want to see. Yeah. You know, every, no snow, every snowflake is important in the avalanche. Yeah. Every right. act that I do is either an avalanche and a positive part of the avalanche and a positive side of the equation or an avalanche that's on the toxic side. And I just want to have more on the good side than I do the the toxic side. And if we all did that a little bit more, a little bit more incrementally, we'll make some changes. And worst worst case, your Mm -hmm. life becomes better because you feel better about yourself and you have better relationships. There is no downside to any of this stuff. No, there really isn't. And you can't expect other people to do it until you are modeling that behavior. Employees have no reason to do it if you're not. They won't. Yep. They, they absolutely won't. They'll act like it when you show up, but when you go away, uh, they're, yeah. they're, they're not going to do it. Yeah. And, and, and you wouldn't, you know, I mean, right. everybody's had toxic bosses and, and how, how hard did you work for them? Yeah. You didn't. We all work for ourselves. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's good. Wow. And, and as a manager and as a leader, I, I need to create the environment where you can work for yourself and and uh, and be really productive and feel good. And uh, I, I win from that because, right. again, morale goes up, production goes up, production goes up, performance goes up, performance goes up, profits go up. And there's then I make more money as a, as a business owner. I pay more money to those people that are working and we're beating the, comp- the the competitors because a healthy culture. And if you can maximize your human capital, that's the best competitive advantage you're going to have in business. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Your most valuable resource is the collective genius and the collective energies of your tribe. Yeah. You learn how to create the conditions for that collective genius to be working and, and, and leaning in the same direction. And you're like, what's that guy who's uh, on the cruise ships or, or on those on the, the rowboats that they just bark through the megaphone, the coxswain or whatever they yeah, call it? Right. That, that's what you become. And everybody's rowing in the right direction. And they're happy. They see they're winning. People love that. Who doesn't? Yeah. 
Right. Yeah, th this, this is really tremendous. I thank you so much for spending this time with us. Will you tell the listeners how they can find you, how they can find your book, you know, anything you think they should know? Yeah, it's super easy. Uh, just go to jeffreydeckman.com and you go into my site, you'll be able to link to the book. I also have a YouTube channel that's got a lot of uh, short videos in. And uh, I do a section in there called Wisdom from the Woods, where I go out, walk my dog and I get these ideas. And I would, uh, uh, some really interesting consciousness type uh, uh, concepts that we talk about. And uh, I have blogs and I'm on Forbes. You can just go into Forbes.com, Google me. I'm, I'm uh, I have a lot of interesting articles about the new way to design your organizations away from the industrial age org chart in this new tribal. And I can tell you everything that I talk about is proven. I've done it. Uh, I've built my practice around it and none of its platitudes are just kind of wishing. It's all real stuff. And it's revolutionary. I mean, I've, I've won international awards for the, the new look that I've, I have of organizations that I'm teaching and, and it's real. Because the small business people, we don't have time to mess around with anything that I can't learn today and leverage tomorrow. Exactly. Right. So, yeah, that just right. jeffreydeckman.com. And there's a lot of stuff, free stuff you can read in there. And it'll, it'll get you into the mindset of what it is that I'm talking about. You can make sense out of all of it. Yeah, it's really great. Thank you. I think this was a great first step for my listeners. And um, really, I'm encouraging everyone to head on over there and continue to absorb this information. And, and if you aren't already operating this way, make these changes because it's not going back to the no, old way. And to, if you really want to kickstart, buy the book. Uh, yeah. the, the book won uh, two national and two international awards. It's an Amazon bestseller for uh, organizational design and organizational psychology. But it, it's, it's an easy read. It's not a novel. <clears throat> Each page is a chapter. Each chapter makes a point and it's a workbook and it's a reference manual. Oh, nice. Oh, it, and it will help you do, it'll guide you through the things you need to go through to help find your inner elder and to come from that place. And it also provides interesting insights into the new organizational design that I've spoken about. It's, it's a great book, even though I wrote it myself. I, gotta <laughs> tell I still go back and reference it. What, what the so heck did great. I write? I need some help. So excellent. Uh, <laughs> It'll really start the process for you. That's terrific. Well, as I said, thank you. And listeners, thank you. You are who we're doing this for. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Discover more episodes of this podcast and explore others at evergreenpodcast.com. As always, continue to prosper and be curious. And if you're looking to get your sales strategy headed in the right direction, pick up a copy of Succeed Without Selling on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts From a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform, 
and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out.